You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. My days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is stricken and withered. I forget to eat my bread. These are the opening lines of Psalm 102 and the inscription beneath it simply writes, A prayer of one afflicted, a prayer of one suffering, when faint and pleading before God. Psalm 102 is a prayer, a song of someone wrestling with suffering, wrestling with affliction, but particularly wrestling with their mental health. This is someone who is under so much strain, who feels the burden so deeply that they forget to eat their bread. And yet the truth is that this is not just something that the psalmist write of. This is something that many of us experience right now, right here. Current statistics would have it that 45% of all Australians at one time in their life will experience some kind of mental illness. And in any given 12-month stretch, one in five of us will experience some episode of mental health, whether it be depression or anxiety or something else. And currently, it is not only leading Australia, but is the leading cause globally of why people miss work. Mental health is a conversation that we need to have. We need to be talking about this because either you or someone that you know will be wrestling with their mental health. And even if you don't know anyone, and even if you never struggle with your mental health, we could always shore up and strengthen our mental health. But before I begin, let me just say this. I am not a mental health professional. I am married to one. I have got an undergraduate in psychology. And so the conversation is familiar to me, but I am not a mental health professional. Instead, what I'm going to do today is to share what I wish someone had shared with me from the stage in church when I was 13, or when I was 20, or when I was 25, or when I was 30. What I wish someone had just said to me. Now, throughout this conversation, this might be too much. And there are people here who are struggling right now in the throes of a battle with mental illness. And so if it is too much, feel free to step out. But this might be for you. And the other thing to say is that there is no way that in 25-odd minutes that we can sum up everything that needs to be said about mental health and the gospel. And so after church, please come find me. I think I'm just going to stay down the front after the service. So if you have a question... Let's come chat. If you want someone to pray for you, let's go do that. But let's start off with a definition of what mental health is. This is from the World Health Organization, which says that mental health is a state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well and work well, and contribute to their community. It's a state of mental well-being that relates with coping, realizing, learning, working, and contributing. And the reason I like this definition is for at least two reasons. One is that it shows that mental health is bigger than just mental illness. So often when we talk about mental health in any conversation, the place that we start off with is mental illness. But it's actually about mental well-being. In the same way that you could uh, have a week where you don't have the flu, but that doesn't actually mean that you're healthy or well. It just means that you're not sick in that way. 
Well, just because you don't have a mental illness or a mental issue or an affliction of some kind doesn't mean that our mental health is strong. And the other reason is that it affects more than just our thought lives. It's a state of mental well-being. The word mental literally means referring to the mind. And I think often when we think about mental health, what we think is primarily our thoughts, that we could just think our way out of mental health. But actually, mental health is far broader than that. It refers to our experiences, it refers to our emotions, it refers to our sensations, and it refers to, uh, to our thought life as well. It's this big bucket of swirling mixture that comes all together to come up with mental health. And then it refers to how it affects the rest of our life, how it affects our coping, how it affects our, our working and our learning and our contributing and our ability to realise our ability. And the truth is that since Genesis 3 and the fall of mankind, when everything broke, no one has experienced perfect mental health. No one has experienced a perfect body. And that affects all of us in different ways. For some of us, through the ups and downs of our life, we might experience sadness and we might experience anxiety or, or something else that sits with us. But by and large, it stays for a day or a week and then leaves. And there are others here this morning who their experience of life has left a mark. It causes them to wonder, how can I get out of bed in the morning? How can I get through the day? And there are others who have just had such a profoundly difficult experience of life that has left such a mark on their soul that they don't get out of bed, that every single day is a struggle. Every single day is hard. And the truth is that when we talk about mental health, this is something that is intensely personal for me. Since the age of 14, on and off, I have seen psychologists. Sometimes there's been a big gap in between seeing them. Sometimes I've seen them often in a year. And so my experience has been one of constantly wrestling with my own mental health. My experience, I've never been clinically diagnosed with anything, but my most common experience is of a deep, pervasive weight of sadness that comes upon me that, that means every single day at times can be hard. Sometimes it lasts for an hour. Sometimes the weight lasts for a day. Sometimes the weight lasts for weeks. Sometimes I can be very high-functioning and sometimes I can't get out of bed. There's no logical explanation for the sadness, it just comes. The year after Sarah was diagnosed with cancer and we'd gone through our battle with our chemotherapy, instead of sadness, my experience was one of profound anxiety. and something I'd never experienced before in my entire life. But there were moments and experiences where I'd be out doing incredibly mundane, everyday things, going shopping, going to the hairdresser, where this anxiety would just fill my body. I just had to leave. I'd leave a full shopping cart. I'd leave in the middle of a haircut, go home, turn off the lights, and just sit in bed for hours. And so the question is, what does the gospel say to someone like me? What does the gospel say to someone experiencing a panic attack monthly or weekly or daily? What does the gospel say to someone with schizophrenia? What does the gospel say to someone with disassociative identities or borderline personality disorder? What does the gospel say to us? 
Well, before we answer that question, we have to deal with a tricky question first. Because in almost every place where I've talked about this, when faith and mental health are combined, someone somewhere has said something like this, well, you just need to have more trust in God. You just need to have a bit more faith, which is technically true of all of us. All of us need to have more faith, and that's fine. But here's the hidden sting. The assumption is if you just had more faith, you would not be experiencing this. If you were just a strong and mature person, then you wouldn't be experiencing your mental illness. And so just why, why are you like that? Why aren't you stronger? Why aren't you more mature? And the answer is I'm, try- I'm as mature as I can be. I'm having as much faith as I possibly can. But I think it's also missing something. It's missing the fact that even mature, strong, godly people suffer with mental affliction. We only have to open up the Bible to see this. Just take a cursory look at some of our heroes in the Old and New Testament. David, a man after God's own heart, wrote many of the Psalms of Lament, these Psalms of anguish and sorrow. Job lost everything, had this profoundly traumatic and stressful experience, cries out to God often to take his life from him. The prophet Elijah, someone who never saw death, after his greatest spiritual victory over the prophets of Baal, finds out there's a plot on his life, and this is the conversation he has with God. He went a day's journey into the wilderness, came down and sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. I am no better than my ancestors. The prophet Jonah throws himself off a boat with no hope and no anticipation that the Lord will save him. We heard the Apostle Paul a couple of weeks ago in 2 Corinthians declare, I thought we had received the sentence of death. I wanted my life to be over. I wanted to die. And even Jesus, the Son of God, the one we worship, the one we look to, in the hours before the cross, he prays more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Jesus is so filled with anxiety and anguish that blood pours out of his sweat. And let me suggest that if David, a man's after God's own heart, if Job, someone who trusts God in the middle of his suffering, if Elijah, a man who never saw death, if Jonah, a man who constantly struggled with God's direction, if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and planted so many churches, and indeed Jesus, God's own son, experienced mental affliction in some way, then you can be a strong, mature, godly Christian and experience this too. And at the same time, It would be strange if faith in Jesus offered nothing to someone experiencing mental affliction. It would be strange if the gospel had nothing to give us. In the same way that if someone breaks their bones or someone has a setback at work or something happens, we know that the gospel can be a comfort and a hope and a peace. The gospel is all of those things for someone experiencing depression or someone experiencing anxiety, or someone experiencing this overwhelming sense of something going wrong but not having the labels to put on it. Gospel gives us so much. 
And in particular this morning, I want to offer three things that I think the gospel offers to anyone, wherever you are in the spectrum of mental health. First, the gospel gives us a hope that cannot be stolen. Secondly, the gospel gives us a peace that cannot be taken. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, the gospel gives us God who will not leave us. Let's start with the start. A hope that cannot be stolen. I think the starting point for any conversation about mental health starts with a question like this. Why should anyone get out of bed this morning? Why should you get out of bed this morning? Why did you get out of bed this morning? Now, the immediate response in most of our minds and heads and hearts will be something like, because we're supposed to. I'm supposed to get out of bed, and so I do. And you ask why? Well, usually there's three reasons given. Why should I get out of bed? And it's something like this. One, I've got so much to do. Two, there's so much to see and experience. Or three, because you're meaningful and the world is meaningful. Busyness, pleasure, or platitudes. The reason to get out of bed in the morning is, is business. There's so much to do. There's so much on my to-do list. I just have to get up and do it. People need me. They, people rely on me. I've got responsibility. I need to get out of bed for others. But what if you've got nothing to give? Or what if you feel like you've got nothing to give? What if you feel like you have nothing to offer? Then why would you get out of bed? Or maybe it's pleasures. Maybe it's the new experience that you seek every single morning. I'm going to get out of bed because there's something new to experience. There's a, a new ice cream or a new holiday or a new Netflix show or a new whatever it is. Distractions. And when we fill our lives with new experiences, there's often this thought in the back of our head, if we're being honest with ourselves, that maybe we're just distracting ourselves from the fact that we don't have an answer. Often, what we're given is platitudes. You should get out of bed because you're meaningful and the world is meaningful. Because the world is great and you've got so much to give. And again, the question is, why? I don't feel like I've got a lot to give. I don't feel like life is meaningful. I don't feel like the world is a wonderful, beautiful place. Why? Christian hope is better than all of those things. Because our hope isn't in busyness, our hope isn't in pleasures, our hope isn't in platitudes, our hope is better than all of those things. If you are a Christian, you have a hope that is better than busyness. You have a hope that is better than pleasures. You have a hope that is truer and deeper than platitudes because our hope is in Jesus. The most famous passage in the New Testament is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Why should you get out of bed in the morning? Because you are deeply and profoundly and intensely loved by the God who made everything that is and was and will be. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. Every Christian starts our morning off from a place of being intensely loved, regardless of our feelings, regardless of our emotions, regardless of our mental state, you could wake up in the darkest day you could ever imagine and you would still be intensely loved by God. Why should I get out of bed in the morning? Because the same God who died for me rose from the dead and in, I live in hope that just as his suffering was transformed into glory, my suffering will be transformed into glory too. Christian hope 
lies in Jesus. And that cannot be taken from us. That cannot be stolen from us. It's better than busyness. It's better than pleasures. And it's better than mere platitudes that are often meaningless. But the gospel also gives us a peace that cannot be taken. Perhaps one of the most famous passages used when talking about mental health is Philippians chapter 4. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds and in Christ Jesus. I've often read this passage, heard this passage, tried to understand this passage. And the image that I often had in my mind was that of a hot shower. That you come in out of the cold, dark world feeling like you just needed to warm up. And that as you pray, as you thank God, it was kind of like turning on the tap of God's peace. That as you pray and as you thank God, this warm, fuzzy feeling would fall over you just like hot water does when you've been out in the cold too long. The only issue with that is that in my 20 years as a Christian, I've never once experienced peace like that. Your experience might be different. Now, what I think the passage is actually talking about is that the Christian has a specific, powerful kind of peace that comes from knowing who God is. That as we pray, that as we thank God, that as we're reminded of who he is, there is a comfort and peace that comes from that. That as we're reminded that God is the one who made everything that is and was and is to come, including me, and called it good. That just as God made all things, that he loves me profoundly and deeply, and therefore I matter. And then the more and more and more that I think about God, the more and more comfort I have, not because of me. It's actually not about my feelings or my prayers. It's about being reminded of who God actually is. And as I'm reminded who God actually is, that's where the peace comes from. It's not about me. In almost every single instance in the Bible when God says, don't be anxious, he always gives a reason. He never does the classic thing, just, just worry less, just stop worrying, don't, don't, don't freak out about it, it's all fine. No, he always gives a good reason. And that's what he says in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Therefore, don't be anxious. Why should Christians not be anxious? Or why can we have peace? It's because the Lord is near. It's not about me, it's about him. It's about a declaration that God, the one who made everything that is and was and is to come, has come near to us. God is with us. God loves us. He is not distant despite my feelings. He is not withdrawn despite the way that I think. The Lord is near. And because I know what he is like, and because he has drawn near to me, I can have peace. It's not a peace born from my experiences. It's not a peace born from my my feelings. It's entirely based in him. And that's why I think the greatest thing that the gospel gives us is God himself. The gospel gives us God who will not leave us. I think the greatest declaration in the good news of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is not the forgiveness of sins. 
is not the promise of a future hope, is not the promise of eternity, is not the promise of a peace that comes among us. The greatest promise that comes from the gospel is the declaration that God is with us, that the distance between man and God has been illuminated and we have God. God has us. We are in this all together. The Heidelberg Catechism, which some of you may have heard of before, asks a question like this. What is my only comfort in life or death? Which is the old way of saying, why should I get up in the morning? What gets me up? Why should I get out of bed when everything is overwhelming? And this is the answer that I, I have held on to. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I am not my own. I am not my emotions or my experiences. I am not what has happened to me. I am not my best days and I am not my worst days. I am not my broken body. I am not my broken mind. I belong to Jesus, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus. He has me and I have him. I belong to him. So in those moments when the darkness descends and you can't see tomorrow, hold on to these truths. Hold on to the character of God, reminding yourself that his hold on you is far greater than your hold on him. You are not your own, but belong body and soul, life and death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In those moments and seasons and weeks where anxiety fills your body from your toes all the way to your head and you feel just you, the, the whole world is turned upside down, ground yourself in these truths. I belong to Jesus. I am not my own, but belong body and soul, life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In those moments when you feel worthless, when you feel you have no value, when you feel you have nothing to give and there is nothing left to live for, remind yourself, you are not your own, but belong body and soul, life and death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I am not my own. I belong to him. And as I sit and dwell and meditate in his life-giving gospel, I am reminded that there is a hope that I can have regardless of my experiences. That there is a peace that I can access regardless of my emotions. And that there is a God who is mine and I am his regardless of what is going on. I am his and he is mine. I am not my own. I'm going to pray for us now that that would be true, that we would be able to dwell and meditate on these truths more and more and more, that we would believe it. God, there are many here this morning who have felt the sting of mental affliction, who have felt the sting of the absence of joy or the absence of laughter or the absence of peace. God, would you comfort them in your grace? Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you give them a deep and profound experience of your love that they might believe, not just in their heads but in their hearts, that they are kept by you, that they are guarded 
by your peace in Christ Jesus. God, would you help them and us believe that there is a hope that cannot be stolen, a peace that cannot be taken, and a God that cannot, will not leave us in your good news. And God, I pray for those of us who have never experienced the sting of mental affliction or mental illness, those of us who don't know what it looks like or don't know what it feels like, God, would you give us hearts of compassion rather than giving hard, hard hearts and hard feelings towards those who experience these afflictions and these illnesses. God, would you give us hearts that love, hearts that draw near in the same way that you draw near to us. God, would we love like you love us, just like your son did to us. Would we believe this to be true? In Jesus' name. Amen.